as a kid, I grew up uh, in a church-going family. I don't, I don't know if all of you did. I know some of you didn't. Uh, but for me, uh, I'd be curious to ask, you know, what, what were some of your earliest church memories? Uh, I have a lot of them because so much of our life revolved around being at the church and part of the church. Um, but uh, probably my earliest ones revolved around going to church with my grandparents, maybe because that was a little different than the every week thing. And so I just want to tell you a few of the, the memories I have. Uh, my grandparents' church, this is my, my dad's parents, they, they had a church, I think it was started in the 1870s, like that's seriously when it was started, and so the church building itself was over 100 years old. I think most of the people who attended there were also over 100 years old, and so like when you were there, like it was, it was a little different, it had that, that old church smell, which is not the same as a new car smell. I just want to distinguish that. It's completely different, um, and, and my grandma, so she would bring these, uh, this, I, have you seen the movie Mary Poppins? You know the Mary Poppins bag where she pulls out stuff and it's over and over, just stuff and stuff, magical bag, it's bottomless. That, my grandma had that bag and she brought that to church on Sunday and she'd be like pulling out candy and gum and coloring sheets and little things for us to do, I guess to keep our attention during church. So I remember that. I remember uh, there was this, this, this old lady uh, now, I was like three, so she might have been like 30, but in my mind, she was an old lady, uh, and she, but she wore one of those hats with like the flowers and the feathers and like a little bird on it. Like, I remember looking at that thing like, whoa, that is so awesome. She's got like a habitat on her head, and so I'd look at that, and I remember she had this like this, these candies she would eat during church, and I don't know if her hearing was bad or what, but like she would open them, but really loudly, like, and I'd just be like, I want one, you know? So that was what was going on. I remember uh, my grandma would give me snacks, and I would lay on my back in the pew, and I would count the rafters in the ceiling and the light fixtures. That's my earliest memories of church. Obviously, I was um, really paying close attention to what the preacher was saying. He was my granddad, um, so God rest his soul. Um, but that's, maybe you have memories like that of church. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. We did, we did things. We did things. And there were a lot of things we did do. But as a kid, I remember the things that I couldn't do. You remember that? Like, first of all, it's, it's, you need to make this clear. This is God's house, okay? And so there's no running in God's house. Stop running. Stop running. Stop running, right? There's no, apparently there's no hurtling the pews. That was frowned upon. Uh, there was things you couldn't do. You couldn't, you couldn't yell in God's house. Shh. Talk soft. It's God's house, right? God's sensitive, I guess. And like, you couldn't, you couldn't lie or cheat or steal in God's house. And these are things you can't do in God's house. But I learned as a kid, there's a loophole to this God's house rule. Uh, you can't do them in God's house, but you can do them in God's yard. And so we would go out there and we'd do all the things in God's yard. Um, and so like, anyway, I think that a lot of people have this mindset about church, uh, that it's God's house and, and, you know, it's kind of set apart and it's different. And we might picture church uh, maybe like God is, it's like, like visiting a, a grandparent and you're going to God's house and he's so glad that you're here. And then that hour or so passes and he's like, oh, you got to go so soon? Oh, you know, and maybe like we leave and we're going to lunch and he stands on the porch and he waves us down the driveway and I come back. And maybe God comes back in the building and he, I don't know, he vacuums or he straightens the chairs, he tunes the guitars, I don't know. And he's doing his crossword puzzle. And now we, we are mobile church, right? So we all recognize that God has a trailer for our church. He doesn't actually have a house yet. Um, so maybe for us, like we have, we don't really associate so closely, like maybe uh, some of the more traditional, more established church buildings do, but it's easy for us to get in this mindset that maybe God's just waiting for us on Sunday, right, and then the rest of the week is ours to do with what we want. Um, so over the next six weeks, what I want to do is I want to pick apart Sunday. I want to dissect Sunday and say, well, okay, obviously that's not true. Hopefully that's obvious, and if it's not, maybe we'll pick it up over the next few weeks, that it's not true, that God's not just waiting for us on Sunday, that he does have something for the rest of our life, but while we are here, why do we do what we do, and how can it enhance our, our faith and our community and our growth? 
Why do we do what we do? Today, we'll be looking at the most basic idea of Sunday, and, and it's the idea of worship. And some people, in fact, call the Sunday time the worship service, right? Uh, our gathering, our assembly. All right, so if you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're going to be in there uh, a little bit this morning. We love to look at the Bibles for the answers to life's most important questions. And today's question is pretty simple. What is worship? What is worship? We're going to take a look at a story from Jesus' life uh, from the book of John. So if you've got your Bible on your phone or it's a New Year's resolution for you, read your Bibles. Let's read our Bibles this year and let's try to bring them to church and, uh, and read them as we go along and read them during the week. But we're going to be in John chapter 4. Uh, and so you can go and flip over to John chapter 4. Now John is in the New Testament of the Bible. It's one of the four biographies of Jesus' life. And so we get a lot of information about Jesus' teaching and his life from there. But before we start reading from John chapter 4, we'll start in verse 4. Okay, so if you're looking for that, go ahead and grab that. But let me give you a little context of where we are in the book there. John chapter 4, we meet Jesus in the middle of this journey, okay? Uh, he's in this area called Samaria. The Samaritans were an interesting group of people. They were a nation of people. They weren't full-blooded Jews, but they were, they were kind of Jewish. In fact, they were spiritually and religiously almost exactly Jewish. They used Jewish scripture and they worshiped the Jewish God and they traced their ancestry back to Abraham. So it's an interesting thing. But because they weren't full blooded Jews, this led to some problems with the Jews. Uh, the, the Jews wouldn't associate with the Samaritans. They wouldn't let them worship at their temple in Jerusalem. And uh, they avoided them when they could. And when they couldn't avoid them, they were mean to them. In fact, there was a lot of racism between the Jews and the Samaritans, uh, probably aimed both ways, but particularly from the Jews to the Samaritans. And so it's rough. And so Jesus, when we find Jesus, he's actually found his way into Samaria. And he meets a lady there. And so I want you to just, as we get into chapter 4, verse 4 of John, this is Jesus, a full-blooded Jewish rabbi. That's about as Jewish as you can get. And he's decided to walk right through Samaria. Look at verse 4. It says, now he, this is Jesus, now he had to go through Samaria. I love that it says he had to go through Samaria. Like, I'm pretty sure that the disciples who were walking with him were like, yeah, Jesus, we don't have to go. We really don't have to go through Samaria. Most people go around Samaria, Jesus. Why are you going through it? But he says, yeah, I had to go through it. So verse 5. So he comes to a town in Samaria called Sychar, and near the plot of a ground that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. And so we find ourselves in Samaria. Jesus, full-blooded Jewish rabbi, has decided to go through Samaria. And I love that it says, now, he had to go through Samaria. And I think it's because he had kind of a divine appointment with this lady he's about to meet. Look at verse 7. So a Samaritan woman comes up. She's a Samaritan. She comes to the well. Remember, they're sitting at Jacob's well. So she comes to the well. And Jesus says, hey, will you give me a drink? Now, it says here that his disciples had gone into town to buy some food. So they're at McDonald's grabbing a Happy Meal. And so Jesus is waiting for them to get back. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman says to him, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And it gives us the note here. For Jews, do not associate with Samaritans. In verse 10, when Jesus answered her, well, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's asking you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman says, you have nothing to draw water with, and, and the well is deep, and so where are you going to get this living water from? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? In verse 13, Jesus says, well, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give them 
will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And so the woman says to him, well, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw this water. So we pause the story there. Now, this is a deep conversation. If you're putting the pieces together, you're like, they're, they're not talking about water, are they? Jesus is talking about something else. And so he's got this big metaphor about water. Now, she's confused, though, because she's like, we are at a well, though, right? And so Jesus says, listen, I got something better than water. I have living water. Many times when this story is taught uh, in church, the, most of the focus is on this woman, this woman, the Samaritan woman who comes to talk to Jesus. And it probably should be. Most of Jesus' stories, I mean, you really hone into the type of person that, she's talk, that he's talking to, and, and you can learn a lot from that. Uh, we're actually not going to spend a ton of time talking about the Samaritan woman today. Uh, but this being New Year's Day, I thought it would be actually important to just briefly touch on some things from her story that are very valuable for us. 2017 has begun. Like it or not, <laughs> it's here. Okay, so let's learn something real quick from the Samaritan woman before we move on in the story. Uh, first of all, let's meet this lady. Okay, so when we first meet her... Uh, we might not have noticed this, first of all, being you know, a modern-day reader, but Jesus certainly would have seen it right off. It's odd that she comes to the well by herself in the middle of the day. Because generally, drawing water is a community event. It still is. I've been in third world countries. I've been in Africa. I've been in South America. And like, you know, if you've got to walk to a water source, which thank the Lord is becoming less and less necessary for areas, but some people have to walk a long way to get water. You go with a group. It's safer. You can carry more water. You can care for the kids that way. It's just the way it was done. But this lady shows up in the middle of the day, the hottest part of the day. Normally, they'd go early in the morning by herself. This would not have been lost on Jesus. Okay, so this is the thing we can learn about her from that. She's probably an outcast. Everybody else probably already came to the well, and she's like, okay, is it clear? I'm going now. First thing, she's an outcast. We also find another thing, as you keep reading the story, that this lady had a pretty shady love life. Okay, Jesus kind of calls her out on it. She had had five husbands, and the guy she's living with now is not even her husband. And, you know, if you've been that person or you know that person, it, things aren't going well for you when that's going on, right? There's no judgment here. Just That's just true, right? And so... She's an outcast. She's also, she's, she's, she's made some mistakes. And so those are things that we want to look at. And it's interesting because if you've ever felt like a black sheep, if you've ever felt like an outcast, if you've ever felt like the ultimate screw up, I want you to know something. Jesus has got time for you. Because he takes time for this lady. He didn't go, do you know who I am? He actually does say that. If you know who it was, he was asking. But he didn't say, do you know who I am? Don't talk to me. He goes, no. Since I am who I am, I've got time for you. And that's never been more true than it is today and that it is for you. So with this new year on us, hey, listen, let's just come to Jesus. Come to the well. He can give us that living water, and maybe today can begin that journey for you. You can just begin saying, what does it mean to meet God through Jesus? Um, so, but that's the first part of the story. Like I said, I don't want to spend a ton of time. I'd like to turn to the second part of the story because something happens today that's going to help us dissect Sunday and help us understand the idea of worship. I want to focus in on a question that this lady asks in verse 19. Because it's really a question I think many of us ask today. And actually, if, if you don't, you know, maybe you should. Verse 19, because when it comes to worship, she's got a question that hits home. Verse 19. So they've had this conversation. So she's tired of talking about her love life because it's kind of personal and I don't even know you, dude, right? So verse 19, she's like, okay, sir, I can see that you're a prophet. Well, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain. But you Jews, you claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. It doesn't sound like a question, but it is. The Samaritans, like I said, they weren't full-blooded Jews, but they still honored the faith of the Jews. They developed their own way of worshiping God, though. See, they, they'd worshiped, uh, they worshiped, they used the Jewish scripture, but since the Jews wouldn't let them come to the temple, 
they decided to worship somewhere else. So they, they chose this mountain. And it was a sacred ma- mountain in, in Jewish tradition, in Jewish history. And so they would go there. And so this lady, uh, she turns the conversation from her moral failures to religion. And she says, look, I, I know I'm all messed up, but if you're so smart, she calls him a prophet. You're so smart. You, you obviously have some answers here. I've got a question. Where, where do we need to go to worship? I'm real confused about that. And I say, believe it or not, this is a question I think a lot of us are asking today. I want to know God. I want to seek God. I want to please God. But I just don't know exactly how or where to do that. I think that's why so many of us have done what we call church shopping. Church shopping. Not calling anybody out, not throwing anybody under the bus, but that's totally a thing we do, right? Church shopping. That's what landed you here or it's why some people aren't here right now, right? Church shopping, because we're asking this same question, like, if God went to church in Wilmington, where would he go? <laughs> I want to go there. Who's got it all figured out? Who's got the best this and the best that? If God was going to go to church, would, would, he, would he go to Life Community Church here at the mall? Would he go to PC3? Would he go to, uh, would he go to Life Point Church down the road? Maybe he'd go to First Baptist or St. James. Would he go to Global River? Would he go to Two Rivers Church? Like, I'm curious, was Jesus Methodist or was he Baptist or Presbyterian? I'm, I can't remember. Like, I don't, can't find it. Again, I'm just, I'm just saying this is a reality because I think in rea- we're not too far removed from this lady. Is it the mountain or is it the temple? I just want to know. Somebody just tell me because I, I, this is too confusing, right? Right? I, I, I've been there and I think many of us have. So as we dissect Sunday, worship, the whole idea, the concept of worship is huge. And the truth is I think we're actually, without realizing it, we're all really good at worship. So I want to step aside from this story for just a minute and talk about it. I want to talk about worship. Okay, so first, I got a definition for you. Worship, maybe you've heard this. Worship means to assign worth. I've heard people say you could call it worthship. To assign value, or some people would say to assign ultimate worth to something. I'm going to give that thing worth. I'm going to give it the credit that I believe that it deserves. That's worship. And I believe that God created us to worship. I have this conversation with people all the time. What's the purpose of life? And I say, look, at you. You might not like this, but I really believe, I really believe the purpose of our life is worship. I think God built it into our DNA. And I think I'm going to make a little case for you right now that it's true and that everyone in the whole world realizes it without realizing it. Because everyone on earth is really great at worship. We all worship. I can look at this group of people right here and I can say, you guys are great worshipers. Give yourself a hand. You're great, great worshipers. Because we all worship all the time. And, and, and before I explain it, because I think if I heard this right now, someone else would say, I'd be like, I'm, I'm not sure I follow you. Like, I don't think you know me <laughs> because I'm not a great worshiper. I'm not perfect. My life looks more like the Samaritan woman than it does like Jesus's life. So I'm not sure I'm really good at worship. So here's why I say this, because worship is not just what religious people do. Worship is something that everyone on the planet does. Everyone worships because everyone has something or someone or some several things that they assign ultimate worth to. They assign ultimate value to. That's the thing that they commit their life to. And they might not raise their hands and sing songs to those things. They might not gather in big groups like this and face a stage and like praise those things. But we, we chase things. We devote ourselves to things. We make sacrifices for things all the time. And we assign ultimate worth to things without even realizing it. For example, we worship people. You ever see videos of those girls in the 60s worshiping the Beatles? <laughs> you seen that? Oh, Ringo! 
he's my favorite. And then they get in a fist fight over who's better, Ringo or John. Like, they're all over. Like, what? These, these girls have laid down, they, they've sacrificed. They've snuck out of the house, they, you know? They've, they've spent all of their work money to buy tickets. They've done this thing. They're crying their eyes out. They just want to get a moment just to be in the presence of the Beatles. And that was a long, long time ago, but we still do it today. There are famous uh, athletes and famous, you know, uh, celebrities that we follow and we want to know everything about them. And it sounds like devotion to me. And that sounds a lot like worship. Just an observation. Maybe you don't worship people, but I think we all might have a tendency to worship things. Stuff, okay? I'm not going to bore you with a list of stuff that we worship because this isn't actually me throwing any of us under the bus. I'm right there with you. But there's things. So I'm just going to mention one thing. One thing that if we just consider there might be a little bit of worship happening here, okay? And it is this. Our smartphones. Our smartphones. And this is, this is why. Okay, maybe you weren't one of the crazies who waited 10 hours to get an iPhone 7 plus, plus extra large double wide screen or whatever. Like, maybe, maybe you didn't do that. But ask yourself, how many hours and hours and hours a day do you just sit and look at it? Would you just look at it? Just look at it. Just look at it. Actually, I went around earlier and I took some pictures of you guys doing this. Let me show you. I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. Um, but this is what we do, right? How many times have you been watching a sporting event and they pan to the crowd and there's a crew of people and they're just like, not even watching the game. They're like updating. I meant the game is so much fun, right? We just, how many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars have you spent on your phone? You might be like, Mm-mm, I don't spend a lot of money. No, how much money do you pay for data every month, for real? Like, I'm not, I'm just saying. There are people who have not enough money to feed themselves but they have a smartphone with internet. This is true. I meet them all the time. I'm like, you know, if you kind of cut back your cell phone bill, you could probably do better on those other bills. But we, devotion, sacrifice, commitment. It sounds a lot like worship to me. I'm just saying. It's just an observation. And there's other things we worship. Some of us worship our kids. I mean, dude, they run our house. They run our schedule. They spend all our money, and everything's devoted to them. And we think, well, isn't that our job to be the best parents ever? No, God, God wants he doesn't want our kids to be the center of our families. He wants, he wants to be the center of our families. But maybe we put a little bit more into that. And, and it could be a lot of other things. It could be relationships. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your vacation house. Maybe it's your 401K. Maybe it's your bank account. I don't know. I don't know what it is. But it's just food for thought. Think of the things you show devotion to or, or this, that you sacrifice for, or that you assign ultimate worth to. Worship. Worship. I think we're great worshipers. We're really, really good at it. So here's the key. The key to worship is to worship the creator, not the created. The key to worship is to worship the creator and not the created. And the goal of this whole talk for me this morning is not to browbeat us all, make us all be like, oh, man, I stink at life. But to go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. That the key to worship is to worship the creator, not the created. And I honestly believe that most of us in here, if not all of us, we want to be better at that. I do. And I hope you do too. So this woman that Jesus is talking to, she didn't need to be reminded of all the bad stuff she had done. She was extremely aware of that. I'm sure she got reminded of that every day at noon when she had to walk by herself to get water. But what she wanted to know was not what she had done wrong, but rather, how do I make it right? The temple? The mountain? What? Is it a special prayer that I pray? Just what do I do? And so Jesus finally gives her this answer. Let's look at verse 21 now. He says, woman, isn't it funny that Jesus starts to sentence like that? He was very respectful when he did it, though. He said, woman, believe me, a time is coming 
when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans, you worship what you don't know. We, we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and it's, it's now come, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And sometimes we want to answer from God, and then he doesn't tell us what we were hoping he would tell us. Like, that's got to be what this woman's thinking, right? She's like, huh? I just said temple or, or mountain, and you get, I, what is this? This is this philosophy. I don't understand. And so what I want to do is I want to spend the rest of our time together talking about that phrase. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Let me set this up. For thousands and thousands of years, worship had always been associated with a place. I mean, for the Jews, it began with, with this, this tent that they carried around, the Ark of the Covenant. That's a whole story. There was the temple. There were, there were mountains. There were, but it was always a place. There was a few other places, but it was always a place. And we go to this place to worship because what we needed was to be in the presence of God. You know, if you, if you were going to go praise your favorite athlete, I mean, you want to get as close to your pre his presence as you could or her presence as you could. You might go to a game, next best thing. You might write them a fan letter. You might tweet out to them. You want to get as close to their presence as you can. And so that's the idea of going to a place for worship. But what Jesus is doing right now is he's busting down the walls of worship. And he says it's not about a place anymore. What Jesus teaches here is that God is no longer just about places of worship. He isn't looking for a place. What he's looking for is a person. He's looking for a person who is ready to invest in assigning him ultimate worth. And it's so much better than a place. You know, the Bible teaches us this idea, okay? This is kind of what Christianity is. That when we decide to live for Jesus, we make this mental, cognitive decision. I'm, I'm going to be a Christian. We confess it with our mouth. And the Bible says that we need to be baptized. That's actually a commandment in the Bible. That when you decide that you want to live for Jesus, you need to be baptized. There's really awesome things. There's a couple places in the Scripture you can find this. But I love in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. It says that when you're baptized, you receive some things. One, the forgiveness of your sins. And two, the gift of the Holy Spirit. So this is the, the, the nutshell. God gives us a gift when we choose him. His Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul teaches more about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. He says... Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? I love the way Paul says this because it's kind of like tongue-in-cheek. He's like, what, you don't know? You don't know? Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and God's spirit dwells among you? But maybe you didn't know that. I think a lot of people who call themselves Christians really don't realize the bigness of God in their life. God is spirit, and, and the ability to have God in our lives gives us the ability to do what we were created to do, Wor worship him, worship him. I saw a guy named Todd Clark uh, illustrate this in a way, because this is it's kind of philosophical, and so what I want to do, I've got some, some props up here that are going to help us understand this a little bit better, and I hope that this is something you can take home with you. It really stuck with me. I got these box, boxes. The first one is this box. It says, God, I've got a little... A little light inside this box, because we always talk about shining God's light in dark places, okay? So we're going to put God's, God's light inside him. This is actually the small box. You would, think that, um, you would think that God would get the biggest box, but it's, um, yeah, that's what it is. Okay. Um, then there's this box. This is you, okay? 
This is you. So this is you doing your thing, okay? And we're going to first take a trip uh, to the Old Testament time where um, the Samaritan woman lived and Jesus lived. And so this big box is going to represent the temple. And so the way that it was taught and the way that they lived it out is basically this, that God's presence is made known in the temple. They had a special room inside the temple called the, holiest, the holy place or the holy of holies. And it was in that place that only certain people could go. And you had to cleanse yourself to be in that place. And people would come around the temple and they would come to worship. And so, so this is how it works now. This is you, okay? And you're out here. You're, I don't know, you're a shepherd. You're a farmer. You're a merchant. And you're out here doing your thing. And you're hanging out with your family. And then the day of worship comes. And so you all pack up and you go into town and you go to the temple. You see how that is? Why? Because that's where God is. And you're going to spend time with God. And so I'm in the temple and I'm worshiping with God. And this is the old system. And this is how it works. And then Paul teaches this thing. He says, all right, so, so don't you know that when you come to Christ, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Let me show you this. Okay, so this is, this is the Jesus era. All right, this isn't like newfangled. This has been around for a long, long time. But first of all, we've, we've got this. Okay, sometimes we confuse the temple with the church. But actually the church is, is a living, breathing body of or people, okay? We, we are the church. The church is not a building. Um, so, so I'm going to change this gathering time. We still have the gathering time. It's very valuable. The church service, okay? So this is where we all come. But don't you know, you are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Check this out. God's presence comes in and he dwells inside of you. He comes with you. He's here to help you with your decisions. And so then the day of worship comes, okay? And so we all gather together and we go to church and it's great, it's awesome. We're hanging out in here. We're doing the church thing. But since God is with us and he's in us, check this out. Church is dismissed. We put all the chairs in the trailer. And then you take the light of God with you. Everywhere you go, suddenly worship becomes not a place but a person. And it can happen with you anywhere you are. And, and so you know, I think many of us are pretty comfortable with the time and place system. Like, we like to know what time, and we like to know what place, and we like to know that other people are going to be there to hold us accountable. And I want to make sure I say this. That's still totally valid, and it's really good. The Bible totally teaches about a weekly gathering, and we do all these things. And that's why we have organized church services, and you have certain people that train to teach, and some that train and practice to lead in worship, and we have places for our kids to be taught about God. But that's not all that church is. Worship doesn't just happen on Sunday morning. Your life becomes the worship service. And you get to take the spirit and the light of God with you wherever you go. And so as we dissect church, as we dissect Sunday morning, this first week, I want to make sure that it's crystal clear that while we may do some worshiping on Sunday, worship is what happens with the rest of our life. It's what we do when we leave here. While you're at work, okay? A lot of you have to go back to work tomorrow or the next day or soon, okay? While you're at work, you know Colossians chapter 4 says that whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all. Work as if you're working for God. Suddenly work becomes worship. The students in here, kids, school can become worship. I'm giving it all. Why? Because I want to show worth to this as if I'm doing it for God. You're driving down the road. You're listening to some music or a radio program, whatever, and, and they get a little shady, a little... A little raunchy on there. Whatever's happening, you're like, hmm, I probably shouldn't be listening to that. This is not honoring God. And check this out. Watch this. You reach to change the dial, to turn it down, or to turn it off, or to change the channel. And watch this. Click. 
You just got your worship on right there. Right then, right there in that moment, you just worshiped. And you can up it a notch. You can change it to something uplifting, some Christian music, or listen to a sermon or something, or call a friend and talk about something positive or talk about God. You're driving in your car and you're doing that. Boom, you had worship. Maybe you're up watching TV and the content gets bad. And you have that little moment where you're like, yeah, I probably should just turn this off. But I do this all the time. I'm like, it'll get better. It'll get better. It never gets better, okay? If you've ever lived a life, it doesn't get better. <laughs> And you change the channel, or you turn it off, and guess what? You just worshiped. Or was that moment where you're standing at Redbox, and your family's out of town, or whatever, or you're out on the road, and, you, and you're going to get that DVD, and you're like, I heard about this movie, man. It's got some scenes I've been wanting to see. And you close that little flap that keeps it from burning the screen up. And you walk away, and that was worship. Or when you make the choice to get up early on New Year's Day and come to church, your worship began before you even got here. And on and on it goes. It's you and I living for God, not just here, not just in here, but out there. As a church, we seek to be God-chasing, grace-shaped love agents, shining light into darkness. And it begins with worship. I just want to pray for us this morning. God, you're good, and uh, your light shines in darkness, and your word says the darkness uh, doesn't understand it, but it exposes the deeds of darkness and lies, and Lord, as we stand on the, on the front porch of 2017, we look out, and you know, really, in a lot of ways, things are going to be the same as they were last year. I mean, we still got yesterday's problems and yesterday's issues, but you've given us this chance to kind of refocus to recalibrate, and to think about what it might mean from here on out. Lord, I'm, I'm so thankful for this body of people who have gathered today. Um, I think that you, you've assigned it to us to hear this and to think about what it means to worship. And as over the next several weeks, as we dissect Sunday and we think about all the elements that we throw in on our Sunday morning service to, to bring you glory, Lord, help us know that our worship happens all the time. Lord, there's someone in this room today who's not full of your light. Maybe they haven't made the decision to live for you. Lord, I pray that they, they start taking that opportunity. Maybe today, maybe tomorrow, maybe next week, but that they'll just begin speaking to someone about it. And who knows, maybe we'll have a baptism by the end of this week where your light can come into their life as well. Lord, right now, I thank you for the kids that are in the back of this building and the teachers that are teaching them. And thank you for the families that are part of our church family. Thank you for the single people, for the grandmas and granddads, and I thank you for the employers and the employees that make up our church family. Lord, help us to go out into this city and to our world and shine your light. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.